Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Hello and welcome to Pro-Life Primetime News. Today is Friday, January 12th. I'm Teresa Watson. And I'm Leslie Palma. Thanks for joining us this evening. A week from today is the March for Life, a huge event for the pro-life movement and for Priests for Life. In our top story, we'll tell you all about our events and how you can meet us at the march. Last night's Republican presidential debate gave former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis a chance to do hand-to-hand combat. While both remain in the shadow of frontrunner Donald Trump, who was hosted at a Fox Town Hall during the debate. I'll have that and more in political news in a nutshell. The Federal Department of Health and Human Services has published a final rule regarding the so-called contraception mandate, and I'll report on who is exempt from following it. Also, in Abortion in the News, I'll tell you about the second abortion-related case the U.S. Supreme Court will decide this term. In our final segment, we'll be joined by our friend Mark Lee Dixon and his colleague John Barrett. They'll give us the latest on efforts to pass a pro-life law in Amarillo, Texas. Please stay with us. Priest for Life National Director Frank Pavone attended his first March for Life when he was still in high school. Our Executive Director Janet Marana has attended for 33 consecutive years without missing one, even the COVID years. This year, both of them will lead a Priests for Life team as we head north to the nation's capital for the January 19th event. We lead several events at the march every year, and we hope if you are in D.C., you will consider attending them. On Thursday, January 18th, Brian Kemper, our Director of Youth Outreach and Coordinator of Street Activism, and Pavone will speak at a prayerful protest outside D.C.'s flagship killing center, the Planned Parenthood, located at 1225 4th Street Northeast. We'll be there from 9 to 11. Come for all or part of the protest. A large crowd sends an effective message. Also on Thursday from 1230 to 2 in front of the White House at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, national pro-life activists, including Frank Pavone and Brian Kemper, will send a message to President Biden about the truth about abortion. Where we're really hoping for a big turnout is the next morning, Friday, January 19th, at the 29th Annual National Prayer Service from 8.30 to 10.30 at Constitution Hall. It's an interdenominational prayer service with some very special guests. The National Pro-Life Recognition Award is given out every year at the service, and this year we have four very deserving winners whose names I'm sure you'll recognize. All of them will be there to accept the award and greet supporters after the service. Bishop Joseph Strickland was ousted as leader of the Diocese of Tyler, Texas by Pope Francis last year for his passionate support of the unborn and his faithfulness to the traditions and teachings of the Catholic Church. Here's the bishop discussing why the fight against abortion is the most important issue of today. Thank you very much. Um, I'm, I couldn't be honored more than to be honored for respecting the, the precious gift of life that God has given us. And the people who are going to be at that um, uh, service and who are going to see this broadcast uh, are just, they're so thirsting for leadership. And uh, that is such a need of our time, isn't it? I mean, the teaching is clear, but it requires courageous shepherds to, uh, to articulate that teaching. Absolutely. As, um, as you, we all know, there's been discussion among the bishops about whether it's a a preeminent issue. And uh, it is, absolutely. I I really believe that the sanctity of life 
is the issue of our time and especially the the sanctity of the life of the unborn because they're the most of everything most vulnerable the weakest um the most helpless uh and so it is the issue of our time and we're seeing sadly so many in the spectrum of what the church teaches clearly but does need to be spoken more clearly and more vigorously the sanctity of life from conception to natural death along that spectrum as and i know i'm i'm not saying anything that you're not aware of at priest for life but along that spectrum life is being attacked almost at every turn and so when we lose the sanctity of the life of the unborn as i've said many times then everyone's vulnerable and sadly we're seeing that vulnerable reality for really every human being in the world at this time bishop strickland also will celebrate a catholic mass at 7 30 a.m in the same place constitution hall Pennsylvania pro-life activist Mark Houck was a target of the newly weaponized Justice Department when his rural home was surrounded by more than a dozen heavily armed FBI agents and he was arrested in front of his children. He was charged with a federal crime a year after a skirmish with a Planned Parenthood escort that was so minor, local police did not pursue it. But at his trial, Houck was acquitted of all the charges against him and he's now suing the Justice Department and running for Congress. Here he is discussing why it's important to arm ourselves with prayer before an event like the March for Life. Yeah, I think it I think it sets the right disposition as we go out to, to a prayer vigil or even a march. You know, there's a there's a celebratory element to coming together as a pro-life family. But, but there's also a, 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 a solemn nature of it all, which I think requires um, the right disposition. And I think for me, when I go out to the prayer vigils, I like to fast. And of course, I bring my rosary. And I, I think it's important because uh, I think God can profoundly use us. Not that he can't use us if we're if we're not praying and so forth, but I think our our disposition, our interior disposition, our outward disposition needs to be one of um, service. And and I think the best way for me to enter into that, especially as I come to the march, that I'm there to to to, to witness to who we are as a people, is that you know we just we prepare our hearts. So we're not going to have like a a huge buffet breakfast and and gorge ourselves. We're really going to enter into solidarity with. You know, the children that we've lost that we remember and, of course, the moms. And, and I think the best way to do that is uh, maybe have a black coffee or something uh, and just really empty ourselves so that God can further use us. I think it, it, it gives us the right disposition, and I'm happy to share that. I know it's helped me uh, knowing that, you know, I'm going there and I really need to surrender everything. And that, that includes, uh, you know, the 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 exterior for the day. And I think, you know, to fill our, our cup up with prayer and with you know, the, the Lord through, from mass and communion is, is just a perfect way to begin that day. Sister Deirdre Dede Byrne electrified the nation when she addressed the national Republican National Convention in 2020. She is a true Renaissance woman, a surgeon, a soldier, and the superior of her religious community in DC, the little workers of the Sacred Hearts. When she learned she would receive the award, she didn't want any accolades for her own work. Instead, she's dedicating the honor to the nine pro-life activists currently in prison in D.C. and facing sentences up to 11 years. Here's Sister Didi talking about these rescuers. Well, it's important to honor, honor them because they, God has called them in a very special way. We're all called um, to do 
his work to uh, save the, the life of the unborn and to also work for the elderly or those who are disabled to fight against euthanasia. Um, it, but it's the calling they have been given is similar to, to maybe someone being called to be a cloistered religious. Um, not everyone can do it. In, in fact, just a very small percent of, percentage of people are called. So Joan Bell, Jean Marshall, John, uh, Will Goodman, uh, Laura Hanley, and a few others have uh, taken that step to uh, pray in a clinic at a time when this is a very unfriendly period of time with the FACE Act, the act that gives them the, the opportunity to be arrested. But the second, um, um, I guess the second um, part of this is that they are being accused of being conspiracist, which gives them uh, 11, 10 extra years of being thrown in prison. Joan Bell, for example, is a mother, 74, 75 years old. She's adopted six children and she has one, she and Chris have one of their own. And um, so this is a, a sacrifice, not only for Joan, but for the children, but for Joan, she's, I, I'm hearing from Chris, she's calling every day and she's in great spirits. They're able to pray the rosary once a week. Um, they receive communion, I think weekly. Uh, Joan is seeing it as a, a cloistered cell in which she can spend time for the, her own reparation of sins and for those of the whole world. The fourth honoree is our good friend and frequent guest on Pro-Life Primetime News, Mark Lee Dixon, who will be joining us later in the broadcast. He's the director of Right to Life of East Texas, but more famous as the founder of the Sanctuary City Movement, which gives towns, cities, and counties a way to declare themselves sanctuaries for the unborn. Here's Mark talking about the difference one person can make to help protect the unborn. So the Sanctuary City for the Unborn initiative at the root, it starts Amos 5.15, to hate evil, yeah. to love good, and to establish justice within the city gates. Within the city, right. Okay. And perhaps the Lord, the God of hosts, be gracious on the remnant of Joseph. Growing up, I always heard in churches that if you want to get something done on abortion, you take care of it in Austin and Washington, D.C. And that's not what Amos 5.15 says. Mm -hmm. uh, it says to hate evil, love good, and establish justice within the city gate. Yes. Now, obviously, I'm not giving up on doing work in state capitals and the nation's capital. Right. We still need to do work there, just like we need to do work at other places. But the local level is where we've forsaken. And if we take back our cities, we can take back our counties, we can take back our state, and we can take back America. We hope you will include this dynamic service on your March for Life agenda. You'll hear great preaching, spend time in prayer, and have a chance to meet the Priests for Life team and our honorees. Constitution Hall is a beautiful venue, and we hope to fill all 3,700 seats. You don't need a tickets, and the service is free. All you need to do is show up, 1776 D Street Northwest, near 18th Street. But we're not finished yet. Since 2004, women and men who made the choice for abortion have been publicly speaking out about their regret as part of the Silent No More Awareness Campaign. Every year, these courageous women and men give their testimony in front of the Supreme Court building at the conclusion of the march. It's a very moving way to end your march, listening to the voices of experience. 
Testimonies will start at about 2 p.m. on Friday. If you're planning to attend the Students for Life National Summit on Saturday at the Grand Hyatt, make sure to stop at the Priests for Life booth for a free gift. We have great new merchandise, and Leslie and I will be doing interviews for our show. The Grand Hyatt is at 1000 H Street Northwest. Last but definitely not least, if you are in D.C. on Monday, January 22nd, please come to the Supreme Court from 11 to 1 to join Priests for Life, Faith and Liberty, and the Christian Defense Coalition for a commemoration of the tragic anniversary of the Roe v. Wade decision and a memorial to the more than 65 million babies killed by legal abortion since 1973. You can find info on all our events at ProLifeMarch.org. It's a busy week for us, and we're not crazy about the cold, but the March for Life is something we look forward to every year. Please join us wherever you can during those days, and make sure to say hi. Do you know what President Joe Biden's day one priority is if he earns a second term? Well, according to his deputy campaign manager, Quentin Falks, when asked on Sunday during an interview on Meet the Press, he said, first of all, Roe. The president has been adamant that we need to restore Roe. It is unfathomable that women today wake up in the country with less rights than their ancestors had years ago, he said. Biden is poised to run on what has been described as the strongest abortion rights platform of any general election candidate, as he and his allies look to notch a victory in the first presidential election since Roe v. Wade was overturned in 22. The Biden campaign is working to turn the focus of the election away from the president himself and onto the possibility of Trump's return to power by putting the attention on abortion and the overturning of Roe v. Wade, which Trump had a hand in through his three Supreme Court nominees. Famed television court personality Judge Judy endorsed 2024 presidential hopeful Nikki Haley in the GOP primary Monday, calling the former South Carolina governor whip smart. Judge Judy said Haley is principled, measured, and has that elusive quality of real common sense. I truly think she can restore America and believe she is the future of this great nation. Judge Judy, who now presides over Amazon's courtroom drama, Judge Judy Justice, isn't the first celebrity to weigh in on the presidential race. Hollywood stars, including Roseanne Barr, Kelsey Grammer, and Dennis Quaid, are among the list of famous figures who have endorsed former President Donald Trump for the Republican nomination. Other figures, such as musician Lenny Kravitz and producer Steven Spielberg, have attended fundraising events for President Joe Biden's re-election bid. A federal judge has upheld as constitutional provisions of the sweeping election law that Ohio put in place last year, rejecting a Democratic law firm's challenge to strict new photo ID requirements, drop box restrictions, and tighten deadlines related to absentee and provisional ballots. In a ruling issued Monday, U.S. District Court Judge Donald Nugent determined that the state's new photo ID requirement imposes no more than a minimal burden, if any, for the vast majority of voters. Nugent also rejected the other claims asserted by the Elias Law Group, whose suit filed last year on behalf of groups representing military veterans, teachers, retirees, and the homeless, argued the law imposed needless and discriminatory burdens on the right to vote. Fireworks flew last night in Des Moines, Iowa, when Republican presidential hopefuls Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis met for another debate that was by far the most rancorous to date. Haley, a former UN ambassador and South Carolina governor, 
accused DeSantis of being desperate, while the Florida governor said his opponent repeatedly shoots herself in the foot. On abortion, both candidates said they support a law that protects babies once a heartbeat can be detected, a law passed but not yet enacted in Florida and on hold in Iowa. DeSantis said Republicans have a messaging problem when it comes to abortion, and Haley said these fellas, both Democrats and Republicans, don't know how to talk about abortion. Meanwhile, in another Des Moines location, former President Trump was featured in a Fox Town Hall where he highlighted his pro-life record while in office. He took credit for his part in overturning Roe v. Wade by nominating three pro-life justices, but said he's for exceptions to abortion laws for rape, incest, and life of the mother. You have to win elections, Trump said. Otherwise, you are going to be back where you were. We can't ever let that happen again. Last night's debate and competing town hall were preceded by an announcement from former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie that he has dropped out of the race for the Republican nomination. And that's political news in a nutshell. After a Biden administration attempt to resurrect the Obamacare contraception mandate led to a barrage of criticism aimed at the Department of Health and Human Services, a final rule was published this week that protects some conscience rights for Americans, but eliminates many of the additional safeguards enacted during the administration of President Donald Trump. Viewers may recall the contraceptive mandate was an Obama administration effort to make every employer cover the cost of contraception and abortifacient drugs and devices for their employees. The mandate brought Priests for Life and many other organizations to the U.S. Supreme Court where our case prevailed and we were granted an exemption for our religious beliefs. Trump expanded this protection in 2019 to include non-religious organizations that object to the mandate on moral grounds. But as Catholic Vote is reporting, the final rule published Tuesday rescinds the Trump era protections but leaves religious exemptions in place. Last Friday, the U.S. Supreme Court accepted a second abortion-related case for this term, granting a request from Idaho and the state's Republican-controlled legislature to temporarily put on hold a lower court ruling that would require emergency rooms to provide abortions to pregnant women in an emergency. In April, the justices will hear oral arguments in the case that asks whether federal law trumps an Idaho law that protects most babies in the state from abortion. Following the overturning of Roe v. Wade, Idaho passed a law making it a crime to perform abortion unless necessary to save the life of the mother. The Biden administration filed suit in federal court in Idaho, claiming that the Emergency Medical Treatment and Active Labor Act took precedence over the state law. The judge agreed and put the law on hold. A federal appeals court allowed the judge's order to stand while the state appealed it. Also last week, a different federal appeals court ruled in a similar case that the law, the federal law, does not supersede abortion laws in Texas. The appeals court split increased the likelihood that the Supreme Court would grant a review of the case, and now they have. In a win for the First Amendment, an Indiana judge has dismissed a lawsuit brought by a pro-abortion sociology professor against the Irish Rover, an independent student newspaper at the University of Notre Dame. The newspaper reported in two stories that sign on Professor Tamara Kay's office door and her social media postings indicated a willingness to help students obtain abortions. In May 2023, Kay sued, claiming the stories were false, defamatory, and inaccurate. The judge ruled that the alleged defamatory statements were true, within the meaning of the, of the law, not made with actual malice, and did not defame the professor. While Florida is still awaiting a ruling from the state Supreme Court on the constitutionality of a law protecting babies from abortion at 15 weeks, and while its Heartbeat Act remains on hold pending that decision, a Miami-era Republican in the Florida House this week introduced a bill to protect babies from the moment of fertilization, except to save the life of the mother. 
Representative David Barrero said that denying personhood for any stage past fertilization is a denial of rights guaranteed in the state constitution and the United States Constitution. He wants his bill to replace the six-week abortion ban approved in 2023. The Pennsylvania Department of Health this week released its annual abortion report showing more abortions and more complications for mothers than ever before. In 2022, there were 34,838 abortions performed, the highest number in the last 10 years. More than 19,000 were chemical abortions. The report also showed that the 469 reported complications from abortion was a 50% increase over 2021 and triple that of 2017. More than 4,000 babies were aborted after 12 weeks, with more than 500 of them aborted after five months. 43% of the abortions were performed on black women who make up just 11% of the state population. There are 18 abortion businesses in the state and more than half of them failed inspections in 2023. And finally, a tough story to report. Lawyers for a Texas teenager who is charged with murdering her newborn are blaming the girl's strict upbringing and state laws requiring parental consent for abortion for the baby's death. The 17-year-old on trial in Fort Worth has admitted to killing her baby girl in September 2021. A paramedic testified that the girl said she delivered the baby into a toilet and the newborn may have hit her head, but the child's bruises told a different story. Text messages between the girl and the baby's father discuss ways to get rid of the baby, with the father at one point writing, we're gonna to have to kill it, much as I hate to say it. The father has not been charged in the murder. The mother went on to have a second baby with a different father and was described by prosecutors as a model prisoner in detention. The state's first in the nation safe haven law could have saved this child's life. And that's abortion in the news. We have with us our friend and no stranger to this show, Mark Lee Dixon, the founder of Sanctuary Cities for the Unborn, and John Barrett, a longtime resident of Amarillo, who was part of the initiating committee for the Amarillo Initiative, which we'll be talking about tonight. Welcome to the show. Yes, hi. Hi. So- um, Be here today. <laughs> thanks, Mark. And, and John, so Mark, tell us a little bit about the history of this initiative. So this initiative is not something that just happened. This is something that has been going on for quite some time in the city of Amarillo. This all started back in January of 2020 when interest was expressed by residents there wanting to see their city become a sanctuary city for the unborn. The first ordinance we gave to city leadership was in December of 2021 and getting people elected into office that campaigned on the platform of making Amarillo a sanctuary for the unborn, prohibiting abortion to the furthest extent possible. And those people that they went back on their word. And so at that point, it was an issue of last resort and the citizens of Amarillo decided to form an initiating committee allowed for by the Amarillo city charter to bring this ordinance forward for a forced vote of their council. And if they reject it, then it will go to the voters. So John, you are a member of the initiating committee. So what's what's going on? What's the latest? Well, presently, uh, the uh, committee together with Mark, we have formed a team of really uh, incredible volunteers to collect signatures throughout the city. The goal is 6,000. We wanna, we're, we are much the same as like President Trump who 
operates under the principle that you always believe you're one point down despite being ahead in the polls. We are going to try to overshoot the mark, but our mark is 6,000 signatures. We're off to a really good start. And uh, we have a team of young, five young sisters from Chandler, Chandler, Texas. These young ladies are awesome. They are incredible. We, Mark brought in another team of volunteers. Uh, we are walking the block, uh, leather to the pavement, collecting signatures from the residents of Amarillo uh, to gain foothold on the requirement of 6,000 signatures. The response thus far has been overwhelmingly positive. Every household, with the exception of a few, you always have those, has, has uh, once we make our introduction, once we tell them why we're there, they're like, where do I sign? Where do I sign? And, uh, you know, it's been like that. Well, so if you get the necessary number, then the city council has to vote on the initiative? Yes, ma'am. As I understand it, the initiating committee uh, put forth the documentation to get the ball rolling. Once we've obtained the signatures and the signatures are all, the signatures also have to be verified uh, in a manner of speaking. So when we take these signatures, we uh, ascertain their voter registration status. We put their voter registration number on the paperwork. All of this paperwork, once we've obtained our signatures, goes to the city secretary who has 21 days to verify uh, the signatures. At that point, once the signatures are verified, once the actual total uh, is verified, then the ordinance goes before the city council and they are forced to give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down vote. As I understand the process, if they vote it down, then the initiating committee has the option of placing the matter on the ballot for the citizens to, to vote on it. Oh, wow. All right. Well, that, that's encouraging. So, um, Mark, tell us a little bit more about what the initiative exactly is. So this initiative closes a lot of loopholes that we see in our state law. What is happening all across Texas and all across America is this practice known as abortion trafficking. And we have seen the Project Veritas videos that have been released. We know this is going on. Uh oh, we seem to have lost Mark. John, uh -oh. can, you, can you take over and tell us more about the initiative? Well, um, I think that this is a process of evolution in terms of how the opposition, the pro-abortionists, uh, are finding loopholes in the system. And the ordinance uh, basically seeks to plug the holes in the dike. Uh, you know, uh, we have a council member, Tom Sherlin, who has just done untold damage to the process by spreading misinformation. Uh, Tom, for instance, uh, made the comment that he, he was at a meeting with uh, one of our members of the initiating committee in Mark. And at that meeting, he asked Mark, what does your ordinance do that the state law doesn't already do? And the ordinance uh, addresses the abortion trafficking issue, okay, where we have women, young women, minors, that are being transported from all over Texas across the state line to facilities in New Mexico to get an abortion. Now, 
you know, I, I have some reservations, uh, strong reservations about the transportation of a minor, let alone transporting someone for an abortion. And Tom seemed to be under the impression that uh, the abortion ordinance or the, uh, the ordinance that we're putting forth is redundant. It's not. The ordinance plugs the loopholes in the system. And in fact, our state legislature encouraged cities and counties across Texas to do what we're doing right here. All right. Well, we thank both of you for, for all the work that you're doing. And, and um, Mark's been with us many times and, and we, he, we really support his work, of course. So how, how can we help um, Amarillo? Um, you know, not all of our viewers, obviously, are from Amarillo. What can we do? Well, one thing that can take place is praying for this initiative. We have so many people across Amarillo, and, and let me just be crystal clear, just because I know some people are going to be watching this who are uh, critical of this ordinance uh, from the city of Amarillo, the majority of people who are collecting signatures are Amarillo residents. And all people like myself and you know, five from, from Chandler, Texas, and 10 from, from Grapeland and Jacksonville, Texas, and a few from Abilene, all we're doing is coming alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ in Amarillo to help them get across the finish line. We're all in this together. And the end goal is the end of abortion in America. And this is Amarillo doing their part to, to bring forth that reality. There was a time in history where we had slave states and free states. And that's not a good idea. We need, like it was, like it ended up happening with slavery, all states prohibiting slavery. We need an abortion free America. And so, whether you're in California or New York or Oregon, abortion needs to be abolished coast to coast. Amen to that. <laughs> we, we certainly agree with you here. Yes. So um, we want to thank you again um, for coming on and uh, taking your time uh, to visit us. And we hope you'll come back as, as this initiative progresses and, and give us an update. Thank you Absolutely. Both very much. Thanks. All right. Thank Good you. Night, Good night. Thank you so much for joining us on Pro-Life Primetime News, produced at Priest for Life headquarters in Titusville, Florida. If you like our show, please support us by making a donation to ProLifeGift.org. These donations help fund all of our work here at Priests for Life, which enables us to continue educating, equipping, and activating God's people to end abortion. For all your pro-life news updates during the week, please follow us on X at ProLife News Show. I'm Teresa Watson, Executive Manager. I'm Leslie Palma, Communications Director. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.